Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Well, good morning. My name's Josh. It's a joy to be with you here on on this Father's Day and open up the scriptures together. Uh, You know, there's a lot to celebrate uh, around Father's Day, but I also think Father's Day can be tough for a lot of us. I think there's a lot, uh, uh, depending on what your experience of fatherhood uh, was as a child, depending on what your experience of a father was, if you were a father yourself and um, so I just want to acknowledge that uh, sometimes it's, it's a painful day as you remember things um, that weren't right uh, in your childhood and, and grieve some of those. Or um, you know, as, as Amy said, she, she lost her father a while ago. Maybe this is just re- reminding you of the, the father who's not here to be celebrated. Or, uh, and, and also as I was praying about the church this week and Father's Day, you know, just wanting to, to pray for, for fathers who are empty nesters and... Um, you know, might, might be thinking of those years of fatherhood with some, with some regret or condemnation or guilt or whatever. And so I just want to pray, pray uh, for you guys that, um, that, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we, we, we do the best we can as fathers. None of us are God. None of us are perfect. And um, so I just pray that you feel seen by your heavenly father today, that you feel his love and grace over your career as a father raising kids, whatever that was like, and that there's, there's grace. Uh, for all of that and uh, being deep into the, the, the meat of the, of the fatherhood years myself with a five, four and two year old, uh, you know, we all just do, just do the best we can. You know, we're just showing up the best that we can. So I just pray that you feel God's grace uh, today. Um, in, in particular, you know, we, we invite folks for prayer uh, after the benediction, after we're dismissed. And if Father's Day is hard for you, or you're, particularly if you're feeling any sense of guilt from your years as Father, we'd love to come alongside and pray for you. So just be sure to come forward uh, after, we're, after the gathering. Today, we, we see uh, in our text two really beautiful stories from King Jesus. Uh, and I don't think it's too far of a stretch, too much of my preacher's creative license to connect them uh, to, to Father's Day, where we see Jesus uh, as a father, as, as the, the one over a household, and then as someone who is tender with someone in their, their weakness. And so I just want to pray that we, we dive into the text today. Um, there's, a, there's a way to read, there's lots of good ways to read scripture. Uh, it's kind of one of those things you can come to it different. You can come real analytically, you know, with commentaries, Greek. Hebrew, all that stuff. You can come to it with a storybook Bible, and which is something I love right now because again, I'm in the you know the the thick of fatherhood. I read lots of storybook Bibles, and I love how people try to capture the truths of Scripture for kids. And and today, I, I guess I'm kind of inviting us to come to it a, a little bit more like a storybook, like to enter in to these stories like we're there, to use our, uh, our, our right brain, the, the imagination, uh, our heart, and put ourselves in the place of the people in these stories. To begin with a little context, uh, we, we had 
a, a couple heavy weeks coming here in Mark 7, where Jesus uh, was kind of getting it. He was getting after the Pharisees. Well, actually, they were getting after him, and he, you know, they dished it and couldn't take it, I guess. Uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus and his disciples, and they start, uh, they start criticizing him and his disciples, asking, hey, why aren't they washing their hands? Uh, according to the tradition of the elders. And they basically what we had was this confrontation on what, what makes a person clean and, and what is it that defiles a person. There's this debate between Jesus and the, the pastors of his day, the religious rulers, the, the people who were professional God followers of his day are duking it out with Jesus. They bring up this ritual cleansing, which is not in scripture, it was something that humans had invented, uh, and these, they're kind of criticizing Jesus' disciples for not doing those ritual cleansings. And then Jesus kind of ups the ante. He goes to this conversation with these uptight religious folks, and he, he, he calls the crowd together and says, listen. And then he starts talking about food cleanliness laws, which were even a bigger deal. And some of those were rooted directly in the scriptures. And his bottom line there is that external stuff is meant to point to internal realities. It is not external ritual cleansings that can cleanse us because we're, we're dirty inside. Similarly, it's not external things that will come into our body that would defile us or make us sinful or unrighteous or dirty or unclean before a holy God. Rather, it is our hearts themselves that make us defiled, is the, the evil that comes from within that makes us defiled. So he's flipping the script. Sorry, I just kind of re-preached last week's sermon. Um, but I think it's helpful, helpful context there before we get here. And the reason I go into all that clean, unclean, defiled, all, all that stuff is because uh, this first story with the Syrophoenician woman uh, is, is put here on purpose by Mark to, to highlight what Jesus just got done saying, to show us what he just told us, if you will. Let me read the first few verses here. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrophoenicia, Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. This woman that approaches Jesus here is at the complete other end of the spectrum when you think about spiritual or religious, religious cleanliness. Because you have the Pharisees whose entire lives is to try to do these rituals and be clean and follow the law. Uh, and then this woman, she's not even a Jewish person, not even a, a member of God's chosen people. And then she's a woman on top of that. And then, uh, and then it's clear that she has some kind of involvement in demonic activity. Something's going on with her daughter, something going on in her lifestyle uh, that would have been deeply pagan, deeply outside. And, and, the, and the importance of her being a Syrian Phoenicia, and we don't have a lot of time to go into it, but that was a region that was deep into occultic practices, deep into paganism and other gods and, and some of the darker, more darker religious practices that you would have seen in this day and age. And so it is a stark, stark contrast. These hard words from Jesus to the professional Christians, and then now this woman who would have been as unclean as they could come uh, based on the cultural standards of that time. 
I think it's also worth pointing out is that Jesus is not looking to do some ministry here, <laughs> at least not public ministry. He, he left the Jewish region and went into uh, Tyre, uh, it went into a house, directly into a house. This is the language that Mark gives us. He gave it right before, went into a house with his disciples when he's trying to get away from the crowd to get a little bit of space to rest, to recuperate, to, to teach his, his core people, his squad, the disciples, go a little bit deeper with them. But his fame got out and this woman comes and she is desperate. She falls at his feet. And this is something that happens a lot all throughout the gospels, uh, all, all throughout Mark and all throughout the other uh, three gospels that we have. It's a, it's a posture that tells us a lot about what it means to receive from Jesus or what's required to receive from Jesus. There are people who come standing up to Jesus, lots of them. We just, the conversation with the Pharisees, they're standing up. They're telling Jesus that there's something wrong with him and his disciples. And then here we have this unclean woman on her knees before Jesus. And she is begging Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. This is a state of desperation. This on the knees in a desperate state is a posture we see in people who receive incredible things from Jesus throughout the scriptures. And again, just trying to imaginatively enter into this story. Uh, imagine this woman in, in her lifestyle, far away from God, maybe not even thinking about God, but coming up to the situation with her daughter. What, what, what was it like? We don't have the details of what this impure spirit was doing to her daughter, but uh, it probably wasn't very pleasant. Like uh, imagine a, a, a small daughter unable to sleep or moaning with inhuman sounds or thrashing and just uh, angry and uh, restless and uncomfortable. As I was praying, I just imagined a little girl who would flail and, and, and was restless and wouldn't sleep. She, I, th I think about, I thought about my kids when they get to the point where they're just like overtired, you know, and it's just, there's just blood everywhere. There's just, you know, there's, it's just an awful situation. How do you rein them in? Like even they, they can't be comforted and all you want is for them to be at peace, to sleep, to just quiet their little minds, to close their little eyes and sleep. And it's in this desperation that she seeks out a, a, Jewish, a Jewish rabbi, seeking help, begging for deliverance from this demon, this uh, oppression in her daughter. Verse 27, first, Jesus responds, first, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right for the children or to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What is going on here? Like, can we just all say, oh, this is uncomfortable. Like, this is not teddy bear Jesus. This is not, you know, like, oh, I don't like the scary God of the Old Testament. I just like teddy bear Jesus in the, in the New Testament. But Jesus is uncomfortable here, at least at first glance. But as I dove into this text, it was just, it just made me, so happy to kind of, I feel like there's enough here in the text, particularly when you look into the actual Greek words that Jesus uses here, uh, that, that, that gives some angle and depth and nuance to what he's saying here. Because uh, Jesus is really, he's being funny. He's being like satirical or like kind of playful. Like I imagine a twinkle in his eye here because the word dog uh, 
in this day and age, culturally, would have been a very, very uh, offensive slur that Jews would have used for a Syrophoenician person or a Samaritan person. Uh, it was common throughout the language in this culture that, that the Israelites, they were God's children. And people, not God's chosen people, were dogs. And uh, dogs in this day and age were, are, le- you know, we, we have like dogs and they're like our puppy children, you know. <laughs> it, it wasn't quite like that as much uh, back in that day and age. And so Jesus is stepping in to the common language used in this culture. That, w- that wouldn't have been a surprise for a Jewish person talking to a Syrophoenician woman. But he uses a different, different word. It's some, some wordplay here. The, the Greek word kion means mangy mutt, like a, a feral dog that's mangy and scraggly and eating roadkill. Like that, and that, that's, that was the word most commonly used, uh, not in a good way, to slander people uh, other than yourself or in another category. But Jesus doesn't use that word. Instead, he uses a word kynarion, which is probably closer to puppy. It, this, it, they did have pets back then, and this is a, a diminutive term uh, in the Greek that, that has this tenderness to it, closer to puppy, like a pet puppy. And so I think it's so fun that he, he's kind of playing on some of the honestly wrong, offensive, slanderous terms and kind of twisting it in a different way. He's, he's seeing her on her knees, begging for a miracle, desperate for, her to do something, for him to do something for her, And he's kind of inviting her to play, inviting her to interact. Verse 28, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, I have a lot of thoughts going through my head right now. So this woman, you could spin this a couple of different ways. Like, did she just Jesus juke Jesus? Did she just like use his own little parable back at him? Like, is this like a woman's power thing where she just one-upped Jesus? And I would humbly say, no. What she does, and this is why I think that she is called someone with great faith, is that she submits herself to the parable. She enters into what Jesus is saying and submits herself to that. I theoretically catching on to the puppy language or whatever, that he's not calling her like a mangy, you know, roadkill eating dog, but like a puppy. And she enters in and answers in his own terms. She doesn't argue. She doesn't get offended. Jesus says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And she accepts the distinction. She accepts and she receives Jesus as the father in the parable who is providing for the entire household, providing the food for the children. And that's also subtle in the text. When Jesus says, let the children eat all they want, he uses just the normal technon, which is just normal for child. But then she opens it up to paideon, which connotates the entire household. In this day and age, there would have been a father over the entire household, which would have included uh, the, the wife, the children, uh, the servants, their children, and all the animals. So she's playing back with Jesus, but like even the father provides for the entire household. And if I'm a puppy under the table, let your girl get some crumbs. 
It's a beautiful picture of humility. It's a beautiful picture of submission where in her desperation, in her faith, she's willing to receive from Jesus on whatever terms that he has. For a lot of times we can come to Jesus desperate for him to do something for us, but we want him to do it on our own terms. An example that, came, that comes to mind right now from this week is I was prayer walking the building and I've had the laurels on my heart a lot, just what people over there, what they're experiencing. And, and I was walking uh, along the parking lot there next to the laurels and I felt God inviting me to go in and uh, visit court. I don't think he's here today, but there's a guy who's been coming to our gatherings here. And all I wanted to do was go back to my office and drink some coffee and keep reading a book, <laughs> keep studying or whatever. And I had this thought like, if I was being honest with myself right now, if God showed up and said, if you go into the laurels right now and revival will break out in Northland, deep in my gut, I still want to just go drink my coffee and read my book. <laughs> just like that, that, that idea of like, I want it on my terms when it fits at my schedule and they click on my scheduling link and it fits in right there where I want it to be on my calendar. We see Jesus, when we receive from Jesus, we receive uh, on his terms in desperation. And Jesus delivers. Look at verse 29. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, the demon gone. Just imagine the relief here. First, we have the display of faith where the conversation's over. She says, okay, and goes back. And I just imagine this weary, exhausted, frazzled little girl breathing deeply with her eyes closed, safe in her bed. I love that picture of what Jesus's response to this woman's faith, to her desperation, to her willingness to receive him as the father of the household, accept her place in the household to receive what, what Jesus has for her. And Jesus this is a pattern. Jesus is stepping in to the grand narrative of scripture here. Because from the beginning, God chose a people and that from the beginning, he was going to be their father and he was going to bless them. Not so that the blessing could stay with them, but so that the blessing could go to all the ends of the earth. The God's chosen people, Israelites, were never meant to be the end goal. They were supposed to be his children that would then be a prophetic witness and point all nations to him. And you see that in Jesus, his ministry, his ministry prioritized the Jewish people, his people, the Israelites, God's chosen people. Uh, he tells his disciples to only go to the towns of Israel. This, this is a main thrust of his ministry is there, but not all of it. And so we're seeing Jesus in this transitional space where the priority is still the children getting all they want from the table or whatever, but it's all, it's, this is foreshadowing what he's gonna, what the great commission is gonna be, which is to go into all nations and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey. This is Jesus saying, what makes a person clean? It's not who your parents were, the type of people you are, your skin color, what you eat, what you don't eat, your ceremonial washing, whether you've ever done witchcraft or occultic practices in the past, the thing that makes someone clean is this posture towards Jesus that comes to Jesus in desperation and receives in Jesus's terms what he has for us. This is the contrast of the Pharisees and the woman. They wanted Jesus on their terms, 
doing the cultural things that made sense to them. And I just want to use my pastoral creative license here to make a Father's Day connection, to consider the beautiful fatherly relationship that you could pull out of this woman coming to Jesus. Because it's got these two aspects of a good fatherly relationship, a daughter and her father. One, a kind of in-your-face boldness, a shamelessness to beg and come before your father to tell him what you want and beg for it and keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. And if you're my kids, keep asking and keep asking and keep asking uh, relentlessly. That's the, that's the elevating part of this father, fatherly relationship of coming to Jesus as a father. But then there's also the authority of Jesus. We've been looking at the authority all through the book of Mark, the authority of Jesus as the king who can calm storms, cast out demons, multiply food, walk on water. He has authority over everything. And so even in her audacity of this woman coming before Jesus on her knees, uh, there's still the humility the reverence, the the willingness to receive on his terms. And as Amy mentioned, talking about Father's Day, if if nothing else, uh, if you're not a father or you, fatherhood is not something you can think about right now because you had a bad father or whatever it is, like what you can think about is that God sees you as a child, wants to be your father and that you, you can come to him like this woman in desperation, audacity, and also humility. That brings us to our next little story. Again, entering in to the story of the deaf and mute man. Verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through, through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. So we hear, here we see Mark's connection to the last story and that these people are now begging for Jesus to heal this person. And there's this man who could hardly talk. That is to say he had a speech impediment and he was deaf. Now, a lot of interesting things going on here with this particular uh, type of miracle. It's not as common as some of the other ones. So just keep that in mind, a speech impediment. Imagine someone's, uh, just the, the degree to which this man would have felt cut off from life, from people, not being able to hear, not, not be able to pick up what was happening, not knowing what people are talking about, feeling like you're just kind of there with life happening around you, and then not being able to express yourself. Imagine this man being a father and never being able to really say his children's name. Verse 35, or verse 33, sorry. And after he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put him, put his his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. 
So riffing on Jesus as the head of the household, we now see the head of the household interacting with this man with unbelievable compassion, unbelievable tenderness. I love this picture of Jesus taking this man aside. Like, did the man even know what was happening? Like he couldn't have heard, he could not have heard the conversation that the crowd is having with him. Like heal this man. So here's this traveling teacher. A tri- this, we're still in Gentile territory. So a, a traveling Jewish teacher who uh, shouldn't touch Gentiles because then they would be unclean. Take him by the hand, lead him away from the crowd. And then we see Jesus touching this man, sticking his fingers into his ears. These appendages on his head that had been useless for who knows how long being touched and touching his tongue, how intimate that is, how physical and bodily that is. Yes, we saw right before, Jesus can just send someone away and have the thing be done, you know, remotely. He can work from home or whatever. But here he's right up in the man's face, touching the two parts of his body that are the source of his deepest shame, his his deepest pain. And one, I just love this phrase, one commentator talked about his sigh as a sigh of engagement. Just imagine Jesus with his hands on this man's head, looking up to heaven in this deep sigh. He's giving himself, breathing on the man. The the commentator connected it to the power going out of him, like when he healed the woman who had been bleeding when she touched the fringe of his garment. This is Jesus engaging with the man at a deep heart level. And that is what compassion is biblically. It's this gut level uh, care that moves towards action, that moves towards engagement. And can we just soak in the, in the imaginative experience of the result of hearing for the first time? He says, be opened, his ears and his tongue. And and what's the first thing the man hears? Was it some birds? I was thinking about that this morning on my walk to the building, hearing birds for the first time, being able to speak for the first time, words of joy because of this miracle, because the Messiah broke into his pain and suffering. It's a beautiful thing. And I think with this passage, I was, I was really intrigued where in verse 35, when it says his tongue was loosened, his ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. So we go from a speech impediment to hearing and speaking plainly. And uh, in the Greek, it's, it's a little bit more on the nose. In the Greek, it says the chains of his tongue were broken. That's super interesting just the, the, the vividness of that imagery, like his tongue had been bound up. He was unable to speak plainly. I was praying about that a lot this morning, uh, just wondering if as we're entering into the story, as far as I know, you know, we don't have a lot of speech impediments in this room or whatever. Um, what might it be that would chain our tongues from being able to speak plainly? I think of silence because of shame, because of insecurity. 
I don't, I don't have anything to say or I don't want to embarrass myself. And so my, our tongues can be chained by shame, by insecurity, where we, we neglect saying plainly, simply, directly, the things that God has given us to say, gifts that we have from God to others because of our self-consciousness and shame. I was also wondering about just uh, what, what the effect bitterness has on the tongue. What bitterness, cynicism has on the tongue, how it can wrap your, chain your tongue up to where everything that comes out of your mouth is just kind of tainted, tainted with criticism, tainted with skepticism, complaining, to see that as a chain that, that binds the tongue that God gave you, that if you are a Christian, you have the spirit inside of you that can speak words of life or words of death. And in both of these places, bitterness and shame, those things come from a deep, deep pain deep, deep pain, maybe a loss that would harden your heart to bitterness, maybe a father who shamed you, a father who just implicitly with his presence, you were never good enough, just never measured up. Or maybe it was just a silent father for whatever reason was going on in his own life, just could not speak a blessing over your life. And so you've been searching for that your, your whole life. And because of that, you're, you're stuck in this shame and, and this silence. That's not a silence of, of wisdom or hospitality, but a silence of shame. And, ju- and just like Jesus with this man, in order for it to be healed, I think we need Jesus to touch those parts of our lives, those parts of our stories with his compassion, to invite Jesus into that. That might look like this, this afternoon or this week, spending some time with Jesus, asking him, what do you want to say about my father, about my, earth, my experience of my earthly father? Maybe you have some memory that's coming to mind right now, something that happened with your earthly father. And you need to hold that memory before Jesus and say, be with me and rewrite this memory. Show me how I should think about this memory that to this day, 40 years later, makes me, makes me want to throw something or makes me want to crumple in shame. Or maybe there's some loss I was thinking about. And I think I know at least one of us here ha- has had to bury a son. So maybe Father's Day is a huge, huge deep pain because you've had to bury a son. So it just reminds you of this loss. And that loss is, is a pain that can turn into bitterness if we don't allow the love of God to transform it. So you need to hold that loss, that thing you're so mad at God for allowing to happen. Hold it before him and ask him to touch it. I, I just love the picture of Jesus' fingers going into this guy's ear. It's so invasive and intense. His spitting on his fingers and touching the guy's tongue. Like, this is weird. It's uncomfortable. And I guess I just wanted to allow that to frame our uh, understanding of what, how we need Jesus to enter into these painful 
points, it, it will probably feel uncomfortable. It will probably require us to bring up things that we try not to think about, that we try to just, you know, tie a Bible verse on and put on the shelf. We got to bring it out, unwrap it, and ask God to transform it. Because the, the invitation here is to come to Jesus in faith, in humility, on his terms, to allow him to, to enter into our story in those tender places. Because the, the vision is a spirit-filled church family that speaks plainly the good news of the gospel, that speaks plainly of God's transforming work that we've experienced in our own souls and we can, we can point others to. Just like the Israelites were never meant to receive God's blessing and just hold on to it. We can receive the healing presence of Jesus in our life, deliverance and healing, and then we can point others to that same thing. It's the, it's the secret sauce of whatever word you want to put on it, missional living or evangelism or whatever, is we are just offering what we have received. We're offering to others what we can't not talk about because the goodness of Jesus touching us and healing our deep pain and shame defines our lives. And we want it to define other people's lives too. Let me pray. for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.